when Sheldon reads out his line, she's like, those are your lines? Really? Yeah. Like, this is, this is what we're doing? <laughs> Everybody to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you all for tuning back in again. It's always such a nice, refreshing part of my week to realize, ooh, I get to read a play today and get to talk about a play today. Absolutely. As we frequently say in the Patreon part of the early episode, we love to do it. It's just a a privilege to be able to talk about scripts, to read so many scripts and read them from an analytical framework and then get to discuss and compare and contrast scripts. It's just a, a, a privilege to do. Absolutely. Getting to, I mean, getting to dig into kind of the, especially right now, I'm not doing much theater right now. I'm guessing not many of you out there are doing much theater right now as we are, or at least uh, recording this podcast in the midst of the COVID-19 world. So uh, I'm grateful for the chance to continue to get to talk about plays in this season. And this episode, we are really privileged to be able to talk about one of the great legacy holders of the American theater, um, underrepresented on the American stage for the impact that she had in the course of theater history. And actually, as we'll get to the context section later on of the of the play, we'll, we'll talk about the fact that her legacy is kind of rekindling and is about to come back to Broadway. But today we are talking about Alice Childress's play, Trouble in Mind. Yes, absolutely. It's great to be turning to Alice Childress as as uh, as and looking at her work and 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 her playwriting. So yeah, I'm excited to get to jump into it and get to kind of grapple with what has become a really important historical uh, piece uh, for for the theater community. Yeah, I think it'll be a really interesting conversation. We as we before we were recording, we talked about, you know, we just had discussed the cherry orchard and and what an interesting pivot it is to go from the cherry orchard into this play as you'll hear yeah. when we do the context and synopsis. Very different play. Interesting themes though that are kind of resonant about oppressed groups and the oppressive class and the clash between them. I mean, that certainly comes up in the cherry orchard and is a real central feature of this play. Of course, The Cherry Orchard is about wealthy Russian landowners, and this is about the American stage. Yeah, yeah, and some of the elitism of the uh, the American stage, and and yeah, I agree that there's some some resonance between them. I'm excited to get to kind of suss out how how this play deals with those themes. Uh, but before we do, I do want to take just a second and say thank you to all of our patrons over on Patreon.com/slash/NoScriptPodcast. Thank you all so much for helping out the show and and for continuing. For those of you who have signed up recently, thank you so much for becoming patrons of the show. Uh, like like Jacob said, we love doing the show. Uh, we we love getting to have these conversations. We love getting to talk about plays. Um, the the effort is not a, a free uh, effort, though. There are some costs associated with running a podcast, as I'm guessing a number of you have discovered out there as everyone is trying on podcasting these days. We were podcasting uh, before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so there are some things as well as just like the price of scripts and time spent on the show. So people who are looking for a way to help out the podcast, patreon.com slash podcast is a great way to do it. When you get over there, you'll find a number of different tiers of patronship, the lowest one being for just $1, $1 a month, $12 over the course of a year. And as Jacob is fond of saying, we hope you get at least, you know, $12 of worth out of the show in, in the year. So, in the uh, course of a year, it's just $12. <laughs> As I'm also fond of saying, I know many of you are listeners. I know who you are, and I know that you would give me $12 if at any point I was just like, can I have $12? So this is your moment. Can I have $12? This is your moment. <laughs> so thank you, all of you who have gone over to patreon.com and and signed up for being patrons for the show. It means a lot. It means a lot to be able to continue having these conversations. You play a vital part in that. So thank you. If you all are interested in it, head over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, and we will see you over there. And now, back to the script. Here we go. All right. Alice Childers, new playwright to the podcast. I would call her a figure of American literature, both dramatic and otherwise. She's a novelist, a playwright, and an actor. Uh, born in South Carolina, but uh, at a young age, she moved to Harlem and was raised by her grandmother. So she grew up in New York. She was a fairly successful Broadway and off-Broadway actor, uh, really before becoming a playwright. She took the American Negro Theater's production of Ana Lucasta to Broadway. It's interesting, as you study a little bit of her history, there's kind of a number of sort of rumored awards that she maybe was nominated for and maybe won, and those academies have gone back in time and said, I, I, we can't really find any evidence that this is true. For example, there's a, a rumor that has floated that... Um, and and has appeared in biographies even that she was nominated for a Tony for her performance in Ana Lucasta. And the Tony committee has said, we, we can't really find any evidence that that actually happened. So we don't know. It's sort of a rumor. It was obviously many years ago. Um, in 1949, she wrote her first play, a one-act play called Florence. And she wrote, directed, and acted in that initial production of that one-act play, which then, of course, led to a robust playwriting career. And uh, uh, Alice Childress is no Known for being one of the first black women to have a play produced on the New York stage. That play was Gold Through the Trees. She also went on with her second husband to write a number of different musicals or plays with musical and uh, plays with music, not with musical. And uh, her 1979 <laughs> novel, A Short Walk, was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. So we are discussing a Pulitzer Prize nominated artist, but not yeah, for yeah. her plays for her novel, A Short Walk. Trouble in Mind as a Play had a 1955 world premiere at the Greenwich Muse Theater in New York City, directed by Alice Childress herself. Apparently there was an initial director in place, but there were some, let's call them artistic differences. And that director left the project and she took over directing it. This is another moment where there is some rumors. It's not clear if they're false reports or if they're true but unverifiable. Um, of the of the laud that the play received. It's been often claimed, even in biographies and um, even in reviews. For example, I read a number of different reviews about this play, and different reviews said different things. But the rumor is that this play won the Obie Award in 1955, and some 
reporters, some reviewers, some papers still hold that as a historical fact, whereas the OBO Award Committee has, has not been able to prove that that actually happened. There's no record of it, so we don't know one way or the other if the play really won the 1955 Obie Award. There's certainly no recorded evidence, but it it's maintains as something that happened in the theater lexicon. The play has gone through several different iterations. Actually, Jackson and I were comparing characters from the current version of the script with the original production and how it might have changed. The first version of the script was three acts, had a little bit of a different character list, and actually featured kind of a happy ending to the script. The standard version that we know and love and read today as part of theater history or wherever else you might encounter it, it's a two-act play and has a a more downbeat, maybe kind of hopeful, but uh, certainly not happy ending to the script. Um, that That's the more standard known version today. Uh, the one that is, in fact, set to go to Broadway in late 2021. Roundabout Theater is going to produce it. Uh, at least they are claiming to do that right now. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen in 2021, but that is on the docket for this play to finally get its Broadway debut. The story goes that it was set to go to Broadway. It had such a successful off-Broadway run in 55 and 56 that it was set to make the transition to Broadway, but due to what you're going to hear from Jackson in the synopsis, of course, the American stage in 55 and 56 said, we're going to need you to make some changes to the script if this is going to go to Broadway. And Alice Childers said, nope, I'm not interested in that. And the play did not end up going to Broadway then, but it is finally getting its true Broadway debut, and thank goodness, it's incredibly relevant, so it'll be fascinating to see what the community makes of it today. But that is the kind of sweeping overview context of Alice Childress and her play, um, Trouble in Mind. Yeah, yeah, and then just to give you just a little bit of synopsis for the play so that we have a common ground to be starting on for, for our conversation, the play takes place in fall of 1957, Take pla- takes place in a Broadway theater in New York City. Um, and and it's and it's a it's a play about a play um, uh, from a very from a very uh, broad perspective. It's a play which focuses on this cast and crew and directing staff as they uh, put on a show uh, for for this theater. Everything takes place inside the theater uh, for for all the scenes. Now, notably, the the show is is uh, in the nineteen in nineteen fifty seven. So this is in the midst of kind of the start of this, the civil rights movement. Uh, Montgomery, Alabama, comes up a lot in in conversation in the play. So all these events are happening, and the show that they're producing is called Chaos in Belleville, and it's a story about uh, it's a story written for the moment, written uh, or a play written for the moment about uh, voting rights in in the South, and and the 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 characters in the play within the play are are trying to vote, uh, trying to vote for the first time. The African American characters in that play within the play. So that's the play they're coming together to do, and and we meet uh, right off the top of the bat, uh, right off the top of the play, off Willetta. the top of the bat, <laughs> off the top of the bat. <laughs> Not a good way to hit 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 a ball in baseball, but uh, right off the top of the play, we meet Willetta, who is kind of I think one of the one of the candidates for the protagonist of the play. We follow her uh, a lot of the play, and she is uh, an actress uh, with a history of of working in in stage. She was a singer a long time ago. 
when she comes in to the stage uh, at this theater that she's going to be in the play. One by one, more and more characters come. We meet uh, Henry, who is the uh, the kind of uh, manager of the theater, like uh, like he's not the stage manager, but like grounds sort of situation. He also winds up getting coffee for the directorial staff for some reason. He's like um, a 78-year-old intern. <laughs> yeah. Yep, <laughs> Today's <laughs> kind of understanding the gopher, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, pretty notably, this cast is made up of a kind of a cross-cultural group of people. There are there are four African-American actors. Willetta is one of them. Uh, John is another uh, of the, of the African-American actors. He's fresh out of, I believe, Yale? If I have that right. Judy is fresh out of Yale. I'm not sure we know yeah. what school John comes from. He kind of undersells it that he's taken some classes. And actually, right. the director, Manners, is the one who's like, no, you went to theater school. You, like, have a degree now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then there's also Millie, uh, who who comes into. She's a bit more of an old hand at the at the stage business, but not as old hand as Willetta. And then Sheldon as well, who is uh, a, a similar uh, caliber as Willetta, kind of been around the business for a while. And that that's the uh, the 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 actors who come in is the African American actors. And then there's also Judy, who is uh, the one white person in the cast, if I remember, at the start of the play. Um, later on, they are joined uh, in, in kind of a chaotic fashion by some more uh, white actors who aren't aren't as as uh, up on how to do that. Um, the the play continues on uh, th- as the directorial staff comes in, uh, which is an all white directorial staff. Uh, uh, Manners is the director's name, Al Manners, and then Eddie, the stage manager. They come in and they cast the vision for the play. They begin the rehearsal process, which is a very kind of disruptive process to the whole group. Uh, Manners is a bit of an eccentric uh, director. He has a, a lot of control over what they do. And, and, and really without like getting into the minutia of the details of all of them we'll get into that in the conversation uh you just see the 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 clashing of cultures in this moment manners is coming in to direct a play about uh african americans trying to vote in the south in the current moment and he is giving this cast direction and uh and you you get to see how these how the clashes happen how his privilege comes out where where the characters come up against him that's the first act second act uh, a bit of a stranger comes in in uh, Bill, who comes in to play kind of the 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 play itself within the play that they are doing is is a little bit white saviory. Um, the <laughs> a little more than a little <laughs> is is pretty pronouncedly white saviory. Um, so he's he's playing the like the the manager of the estate that these people work at. Um, and, and it's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he comes in and he's, he has these kind of big monologues about, about, uh, protecting the, the, uh, African American folks in their community. And when he comes out of the scene, he's this, this, uh, somewhat, uh, bigoted guy, the actor who plays him, the, the Bill, Bill, uh, is a kind of a bigoted guy, not, not wanting to work with the, the cast as it is. And, uh, you see more of those ripple effects throughout the play. What, what, uh, begins to develop though is, uh, Al Manners is the director's focus on like intent, wanting to have everyone, uh, have an intent for their lines and what begins to develop in Willetta especially is that she can't find the motivation for her lines. What happens in the play, because it's w- written by a, a white uh, author and it and it has this pretty heavy white savior message in it, um, and and uh, Willetta just can't find the motivation 
for for some of her lines, which which don't make sense to her. She's she plays the mother of one of the people that is handed over to this mob by the end of the play, uh, within the play, and uh, so so she just can't find the motivation for that, which culminates in a fight between Willetta and the director Al Manners, and uh, that kind of moves us into the ending, somewhat hopeful but certainly poignant end of the play, where Willetta is is trying to grapple with. Uh, reforming the way she's done theater before. She starts to play with this very... Uh, she goes and talks to John, who is a brand new actor, and tells him all the rules for how to deal with white directors. And by the end of the play, she realizes that she maybe needs to change how she is how she is behaving in that way and take a stronger stand against some of the the uh, bigotry that is that is a part of the the director's uh, style. That's pretty much the end of the play. She uh, has a number of the end of the play is with her and Henry, uh, who is the like a kind of old hand caretaker of the of the building, and them both kind of sitting there in the moment after this big fight with the director and uh, wondering about how the future will go. Yeah, Willetta's journey, I think you were right to point out at the beginning of the synopsis, is really the central journey of the play. I think she not only is just a major candidate, but probably the protagonist of the play. And she goes from this process of, in, in her first major interaction of the play with John, as you just said, kind of coaching him in methods that she has learned to be successful with white people in power and how, you know, it's things like you're laughing at their jokes, you're trying to always be optimistic with them, and John kind of pushes back against those. And she really has a sense that she knows how to do this process. Um, when Manners walks her through a scene, they're working on a scene together, and she's supposed to sing, her response is, I know how you want it done. I know how to do it. And he coaches her to try this sort of different view of theater. It's it's more commonly in the lexicon now. I'm not exactly sure how this changed theater in the 50s, but the idea being that there's a, a character justification for what she's doing. And this is maybe a different way to look at the script for Willetta. And ultimately, it's that shift in perspective on her character and her relationship to the play that leads her to more broadly invest herself in her character's journey in the play within the play, which then causes her to say, this is not an honest journey. At the very end of the play, she finally says, this play is a lie. She outright yeah. brings this thing that she's been kind of developing in her own mind to full uh, full birth, I guess. You know, incubation over. The, the statement has come out. This play is a lie. Right, right. And you have the juxtaposition of how she has learned to deal with the power structures of, of white-dominated uh, directorial staff in the theater, especially in the 1950s. Um, and then you have John's perspective as juxtaposed to that. And you see both of them kind of uh, exercising their different tactics for this situation. And, and we'll let his journey to see that they are both tactics, in fact, that, that they're not uh, the, the true, like, searching for a true way to engage the script and to engage the the artistic act of bringing out uh, of bringing out a play is part of the like you 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 get the sense that there's some tension in the play as to whether or not we'll land on Willetta's style of interacting with directors or John's style of interacting with directors, um, white directors especially, um, and and it's in fact neither. It's a third choice, a more a more uh, uh, honest choice that she lands on by the end of the play. 
Yeah, and and the way that Alice Childress has sort of reveals the problems with the play within the play, with the script that this theater troupe is working on, kind of ends up mirroring Willetta's journey as the play goes on. Very early in the play, you get an interaction like this. Um, Again, Willetta and Millie are both black actors, and Judy is a white actor. They're playing a scene. Again, the power structure within the play is that Judy is the daughter of a white landowner, that there are black sharecroppers on the property, obviously huge power ballots are all trying to vote etc and judy's character the white daughter of the rich landowner is trying to basically convince her father to let these group of of black sharecroppers uh, have a party in the barn basically is what's going on and, and so uh willetta's character and millie's character talk with judy's character after that confrontation scene and willetta says uh or judy says i'm going to go upstairs and lay out my dress willetta says no you ain't i'm going to do that for you judy says then i'll take a nap millie says no, you ain't. I'm going to do that for you. A very funny line, a very funny quip, great moment, right. but it's not the line in the script. So Eddie, the stage manager, corrects Millie, wrong line. Millie says, sorry, and then she reads the correct line. And listen to the difference between that very funny quip that comes from Millie's head and the line that she was supposed to say in this script. And the line is, yes, child, you rest yourself. You had a terrible, hard day. Bless your soul. you just one of God's golden-haired angels. I mean, you can right. see the perspective that the play within the play has on race relations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 there's a couple, like, really distinct moments. I, I, I'm not going to be able to find the exact one, but, but Willetta catches herself saying an exact line that her character says in, in the play within the play to Manners, the director, um, as, as just an honest response to him. And the stage directions call for her to, like, notice that she has just said a line from the play. This play that she is beginning to realize is, is, is not, maybe not beginning to realize that she should, that she knows is not a fair representation of race relations or, or an honest one of both. Well, I Um, think you're right. You're you're right to point out sort of the question of how soon Willetta comes to a conclusion about the rightness or wrongness of the script. And I'm, I'm not sure that that ultimately is Willetta's journey, is deciding the script is definitely has got some pretty racist overtones. Because really, from the very beginning of the play, Willetta, at least when she's not around white people, is honest about her opinion of the script, which is that she doesn't like it that much. Um, and the question becomes, what is Willetta going to do with the fact that sh- the script has got all these problems in it and her perspective at the beginning of the play is to basically achieve career success she has to placate white people in power we we know that that's still a problem in the american theater of course and alice childress in 1955 or whatever but it puts a nice uh you know, a, a nice clear picture of how that works that is sadly still true nearly 70 years later. This idea that uh, actors of color have to placate white people in power in order to have career success. And Willetta, over the course of the script, has to decide is this play that we are working on, you know, given that it's problematic, what am I going to do with that? Which is interesting in that John kind of comes in with that perspective at the start of the play. His he like voices some of his problems with it, and it's and it's Willetta who uh, ends up like leaning him away from talking about those problems. And then John also kind of 
moves into the role, moves into his ability to talk in language of motivation and justification for his character. And a lot of the stage directions in the play show the gradual process of John um, kind of moving into that field more and, and taking the side of manners in in more of the conflicts later on in the play. I, I guess what I'm saying is that I wouldn't have expected Willetta necessarily to arrive where she does by the end of the play. I would have expected this was a journey for John to realize that he was coming into his own, that he can trust his own uh, uh, first instinct on the play and speak honestly. But it's, in fact, it's great that, like, the character who starts as the most placating ends up a- awakening to this truth that that, uh, th- that this play needs to be resisted and needs to be changed for her to engage it. Well, right. And John's sense of the script is much more gray than Willetta's, I think. In, in their initial confrontation i guess it's it's more of a conversation than a confrontation but they have different perspectives on their work willetta and john and john's perspective is like you know i really couldn't work on a script i don't believe it and and the whole concept for the production which is being directed by a white director so as i describe right. the concept keep that in mind is that it is <laughs> a like an anti-lynching um, uh, message piece that that violence against people of color is wrong is basically the play that they're doing and they're telling right, real th- bold yeah real bold <laughs> stance really um, and, but they're telling that story really through the lens and the perspective of white people in a white savior kind of story directed by a white person. And John ends up on this journey, and and it's actually described by Alice Childress several times in the stage directions, that he ought to become more and more like manners in terms of his mannerisms, the way he is behaving in the scenes, his perspective on the script. So he kind of, he more closely aligns himself with the director until, of course, the major confrontation that defines the end of the play. Right, right, yeah, and and you have, there's there's all sorts of these kind of interesting tactics that each of these actors have developed in order to exist in this white dominated space. You have John's uh, kind of new ones. You have Willetta's. You also have Sheldon's, who uh, is the kind of head of the or the, their representative as far as a union is concerned. Um, and and uh, he, he would be the one who would they would bring some sort of uh, conflict to and he would take it up with the union or take it up with the directors or, or however that works. And he's been working with Manners for like all of his career. Like there's there's like a, a, a relationship that he has with him. And so so his way of engaging this is, is kind of similar to Willetta's. And yet it's, it's, it's a little bit more d- uh, distinct in that he is he's trying to uh, use his presence there to just to I think it's I think it's to support his his goal of staying an actor. Um, he has this kind of career choice that he has made, and he's 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 like. He's he's trying to stick in with he's throughout the play is talking about like he's losing his apartment he needs a better apartment so the the real stakes for him are this is my job and I and I gotta stay in it yeah and and Sheldon is one of those characters that has a really nice moment early in the play where Alice Childress has written for us a a way to show us the 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 lens through which the play within the play operates the the problematic definitely racist overtones of the script that they're working on early in the play Sheldon is 
basically reading his lines out loud to prepare for the scene that they're going to rehearse. And he's only reading his side of the conversation. And that really highlights the kinds of lines that are written for a black actor in this play that's supposedly an anti-lynching, you know, pro, I don't know if it's necessarily even equality at the time, but, but supposedly pro uh black humanity let's call it just the basic the most basic version of it and right. this is the side of this is sheldon's side of the conversation as a as a black actor in this play mr renard sir everything is just fine yes sir thank you sir yes siree i sure will i know yes sir but ifin ifin so, you know, it's just a bunch of yes, sir, yes, right. sirs, right? It's like there's no meat to that conversation at all for his side of the role. You can imagine that the white actor in that scene has got a lot more of the meat of the conversation. And again, it's just that children showing us the lens of the script that they're working on as a way to then slowly move her characters through how are they going to deal with the piece that they're working on and the the problematic attitudes of the director that they're working with on the script mm-hmm yeah yeah seeing seeing that kind of journey of 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 Sheldon's through the play as he like he continues in these scenes where he has hardly any hardly any uh lines in the scenes um he, he often will like throw in extra lines in in the scenes and and be told off for that um it's it's really helpful as he slow he he slowly by the ends of the end of the play kind of realizes that and joins in some anger um by the end of the play but it, what's i find really helpful in the play is the the character of Millie who throughout the play is angry at the play <laughs> <laughs> um, Millie, Millie will just in scenes like that. She just like well, when uh, when Sheldon reads out his line, she's like, "Those are your lines, really? Yeah. <laughs> like this is this is what we're doing." <laughs> and Judy's doing a scene later on, and Millie is just like kind of giving her some attitude and some comment, so sort of un- uh, unrequested commentary. Now, all the characters right. do this, not specific to Millie, but in this scene, the one that ends up being highlighted is Millie's sort of commentary on the scene. Because at the end of it, uh, one of the other characters is like, Millie is bullying Judy. It's like, well, really, <laughs> Millie's commenting on the, what Judy is saying as her character in the script, and, and it's very questionable content. Well, yeah, yeah, and and Judy, Judy knows it too. Like throughout the play, Judy has this like kind of deer in the headlights sort of. Oh wow, this is in here, huh? And I'm I'm gonna try to say this somehow. <laughs> um, sort of sort of aspect to her character that she is that she is working with that I think winds up being the 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 con- the the counteraction to a lot of Millie's ire. Um, that these two, she's uh, Judy is kind of this ingenue, first time in a play. She's from what I I I think by by the inclusion, it's like Bridgeton or something like that, New York. That sounds like a, a rich neighborhood to me. I don't know much about the neighborhoods of New York, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, fairly affluent family. She talks about her parents and their estate and things like that. And this is her first time in a play. Um, and so so she's she has this kind of uh, new world that she's engaging in. And so Mil- Millie ends up like kind of waking her up quite a bit throughout the play. Well, and and Judy's a character on an interesting journey because she she's dealing with 
on the one hand, the fact that she's uncomfortable with the racist attitudes that her character displays. She gives some several very nice little speeches about the ugliness of prejudice and how, you know, she's very much trying to be on the side of the actors of color in the production. However, when it comes down to it at the end, she and the other white actor in the play sort of speak out against the way that the actors of color talk about white people in power. Uh, but so she's on that journey. She doesn't want to use the uh, vulgar slurs uh, for African-American people that are in the script, that kind of stuff. There's that there's that one part of it. Then there's this uh, unknown um, sort of open to interpretation subplot for Judy, which I'll admit I don't, I'm not sure I could say that I know the details of what goes on. Here are just a couple of facts about what occurs in the play, and then we might discuss what their implications might be. One fact is that this is really Judy's first major production of any kind, and she says the audition went badly. Um, And Millie responds, but you still got the part. Hmm. Uh, Next, we know that... um, she is from the Yale School of Drama, so she is, she does have some experience as an actor, but first major production, so that's the second thing we know about her. There is this moment at the end of the act, the first act, where Manners, uh, an older male director, invites this young, attractive female into a dressing room alone to uh, supposedly talk about her character is what he says. (laughs) And we don't see her again for the act. The act ends and we move on to a new day of rehearsals without seeing what has come of that. In the next act, she arrives dressed significantly different. Uh, The script describes it as kind of a more grown-up, more trying to be a little more sophisticated uh, style of dress. Oh, I forgot one other thing, which is that when they all gather to see the set drawings, um, the white director Manners has a, um, let's call it, uh, uncomfortable interaction with Judy where he like, because he's kind of over her shoulder, he he like is able to sniff her and breathe on her and that makes her really uncomfortable and he comments something about her attractive shoulders or something. So that happens and then later on he invites her into the dressing room alone. Then in the next act we have this thing where she is dressed so significantly differently and then finally they all return from lunch near the end of the play and she is drunk and she says some stuff that has that doesn't necessarily prove anything one way or the other, but it's about how she, he she might be pushing this friendship thing a little too far about what Manners may or may not want people to know. And Manners really quickly shuts her up and says, "You're really drunk right now. Why are you saying this stuff? Why don't you drink some coffee and sit there and recover and be quiet?" Right. So those are yeah. the things that we know, and I will say that that's all we know. Um, it, the this plot is not brought into more light later on in the script and really clearly articulated for the audience. But, of course, there, there might be some things that, that those sequence of facts might suggest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think certainly the, it would be, it, you'd be missing something as the actor playing Judy if you didn't lean into some of those just a little bit and kind of wonder around some of those. Because I think, I think you summed up the, the, the facts that we have about the, those interactions really well. There really isn't a whole lot more in just the text of the play. However, this is also a very physical play with a lot of side action in it. 
So I think I think some of that sort of storytelling can come out in in the in the physicality of the play because most of the play like big chunks of both both of the acts are just rehearsal pro- rehearsal process um which if any of you have been in a play know there's like six things happening at the same time in a rehearsal process so i think that's that's part of that storytelling that's in there as uh, especially manners and we should we should spend we should put manners under a microscope for just a little bit here at some point but he's a very like physical like actually hands-on sort of director Oh, right. One fact that I did forget that you have just reminded me of is the moment where Judy, in her great confusion as she's about to begin rehearsing, um, goes the wrong direction. He says downstage, she goes upstage. All theater kids, of course, know what that means. And Manner's response is to basically grasp her by both arms and physically direct her around the stage, showing her all the different spots. Spots, of course, that she knows. She graduated from the Yale School of Drama. You know, so she doesn't need to be told what stage directions are. She was just momentarily confused. But his response is to grasp her, hold her, and move her around the stage, which is another one of those suggestive realities. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like think think about when this play is written and then, like, the, the journey we've been on since the play was written uh, about bringing some of this stuff into the light that does not mean that it was not happening prior to that. I think this is a case of, of, a, of a pretty sexist, misogynist director, um, and, and I think you have to weigh that in her character story, that she's up against this director in, in her life and how she's interacting for the first time out of school with, with this in this case. And I, you know, I think as you just said, the society has been on this journey since 1955. And in today's world, Judy might be the kind of actor that has a Me Too story to tell about this director. Now, we don't, again, we don't necessarily have any specific evidence of that other than these odd sequence of interactions between the two of them throughout the play. And I, you know, they seem suggestive of something going on. And I think given um, the emotional state of the character of Judy throughout the play, she's uh, quite upset much of the play. And a lot of that has to do with the intense uh, racial realities that the characters are confronting on the stage. But you might also say this might have to do with the fact that perhaps this director has come on to her, maybe even let her know that he casted her, despite the fact that her idea was bad and that she's fresh out of school in this major role in this major play because he expects her to sleep with him we don't know that we don't see the interaction but all of this stuff pushed pushed up against each other it might lead you down that road and it's not surprising let's say for director manners to have something like that going on that doesn't shock us yeah, absolutely. We know that this is a prevalent issue in in theater. So yeah, I agree that the the uh the 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 storyline is there. It's she's she's kind of a character that you get to dig into a lot with because she has uh, so many emotions kind of right at the right at the surface. She's she's playing in a lot of the different roles she's in. She's in a a fairly you know, uncomfortable position for a lot of reasons. New place, new people, new part of town, new new job. Um, and, and and it's just interesting to kind of watch her navigate that. I I, I do want to spend just a tad of time, like, re- I'm not done with manners yet. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> this is what I'm trying be, to say. Right? He's, he's the major antagonist of the play. He he and Willetta are really the the two major forces in the script which clash to create the play that is trouble in mind. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and he manages to be an antagonist on multiple levels um, across uh, to almost every character. Um, and, and yet still be a director that at least I, I've almost certainly worked with this kind of director before. <laughs> like he's not like, he's not just a vile human being, but man, he's a problematic person. Well, um. and his, his, the, <laughs> part of what makes him so problematic is that he, he's so, um, when you first meet him, he's so energetic, excited about the work, at face value, wants to tell this play, which is an anti-lynching message. You know, supposedly he's doing it because he believes in the idea of the pursuit of racial justice in America. He has all these interesting ideas about theater. He's really, he seems to be trying and what we learn about him over the course of the play, which then is crystallized in the climactic admission by him in the final confrontation, is the the deeper, more insidious racism and potentially, uh, you know, sexual harassment <laughs> that is manners. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you get that. I mean, he's you, you don't you don't spend a whole lot of time wondering about who manners is. Right. Like you, he, he walks into the room and and. I mean, <laughs> I guess maybe you wonder whether he's just a kind of a egocentric theater director for the start of it. But Kat, almost immediately, he goes up against everyone. Like he harangues Eddie, who's his stage manager, when he comes in. The, the the lines, the first lines that we hear from him are something along the lines of like, you know, he's he's raking Eddie over the coals for something, and Eddie has to back down. And the stage he, directions call for that one to be like kind of friendly, like a friendly berating. I think is the stage direction, right, or something right. very similar to that. And you can sort of see the evolution from like a friendly berating to a more stressed berating to an outright angry abusive berating yeah absolutely he's really mean to henry throughout the play who for for some reason is the person who goes and gets him coffee and and pastries um and he's he's mean to him throughout the play he's very abrasive to all the actors um telling like he he regularly throughout the plays like shuts sheldon up with a gesture um, like when Sheldon is saying something on stage or saying something that doesn't feel as appropriate, he'll just like do a gesture the, the script calls for and Sheldon stops talking. So he's, he's got this, like this, this self, uh, motivated place of power that he believes he, that he eventually states by the end of the play that he is in charge and that everyone should just follow his lead no matter what a uh, pretty, pretty common directorial position. Um, and, and yeah, you, you get to see him push up against each of these characters and become an antagonist for almost all of them by the end of the play. Well, and it's important for this, somewhat villainous, ominous, uh, you know, despicable, I think we've used the phrase character of Al Manners, the director, to be, and this is important for every actor and every character I, I recognize, but I, especially in this situation, <laughs> it's important, I think, that the actor takes the perspective of Manners, which is that he is not any of that. Uh, you know, Alice Childress introduces us to him. Um, I'm not reading the whole description, but just a little bit of it. He is a bundle of energy considerate and understanding after his own fashion selfless or selfish and tactless after ours right this is a yeah. guy who is doing this play because he honestly believes that a white guy directing a play about lynching is the most 
a suitable way to achieve racial justice in America. Now, what is revealed is the problems. And actually, he I think part of the beauty and harsh hardness of the climax is his own recognition about himself of the racism and all the other stuff that's problematic about him. In his first scene where he first rehearses with any of these actors, there, we get this really uncomfortable interaction. Just after Judy makes the mistake about the staging and he grasps a young woman by her arms, leads her on the stage, obviously not something that should ever have happened, but today especially we would recognize that and go, don't do that, brother. And after Right. Just after that uncomfortable interaction, he has dropped a piece of trash on the ground. And he says a tra- something about the trash, right? A trashy stage. We don't want that. And Judy reaches down to pick it up. And he says, hold on. No, no, no. Willetta, you pick up the paper. Willetta, you pick up the paper. Willetta says, what? What? I'm way over here. Why are you asking me? Is it what? I'm not. She says, I ain't the damn janitor. Damn. And she's really uh, upset by being asked to pick up trash. Is it because of her skin color or what? Manner says, wait, 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 stop, 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 cut, cut, cut. And he says, what you have seen, what you have just seen is fine acting. And he basically says, that was all just an exercise. I wanted you to react honestly in the moment. Now, right. what he's asking her to react honestly in the moment to is being asked to clean up the stage because of her skin color, and he's asking her to live honestly in that moment as a white man. So there's some problems there, right? That's an uncomfortable yeah. moment for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Over and over, his his style of directing um, is is this is this fairly prob like given the situation and what he's doing, is this really problematic? Uh, uh, power structure that he has for himself. I remember the the stage directions towards the end of the play when Willetta is kind of uh, taking her stand on this that she wants the character changed because it doesn't. The, her main argument is that it doesn't make sense for this mother character to just give her son over to this white landowner to have him taken to the judge. Um, she she doesn't. She says it just doesn't make sense. We would not do this. This is not this is not a story that would happen. You're it's it's fr- frankly ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, right. and, and, and she has come to that realization because of what we've discussed, right? Manners asks her to relate honestly to the character that she is embracing in the script. And that kind of honest relationship with the the work itself is something that Woletta has initially told other characters, namely John, you don't really want to do that in this business right. as a person of color interacting with white people in power. That's going to be a problem. But when Manners suggests that's how we're going to do this script, he, unbeknowingly to him, <laughs> releases this world for her that she slowly gains some agency for herself. There's this incredible maybe one of the more impactful moments in a script that I read in a while. Uh, er, late in Act 1, after all of these confrontations have happened, everybody's left, it's just Sheldon and Willetta on stage. Sheldon says, Sometimes I take low, yes, gotta get low. Man says something to me, I say, yes, sure, certainly. You and me know how to do it. That ain't common, that's common sense. You and me, we don't mind taking low because we trying to accomplish something. Willetta responds, I mind, I do mind. I mind, I mind. Sheldon, well, yeah, we all mind, but you got to swallow what you mind. What you mind won't buy beans. I mean, you got to take what you mind to survive, to eat, to breathe. Willetta, I mind. Leave me alone. That moment will be with me for a long time. That is beautifully yeah. written. And it's a lovely, it, it is, right, Willetta on the cliff. 
what am I, what is the journey going to be for me and my relationship with this director and this script moving forward? I know the problems with it, but am I going to swallow what I mind or am I going to pronounce what I mind and create confrontation or not create confrontation, but embrace the confrontation as a means to achieve my own agency, the agency of the people around me. And that's the path she takes. That is a beautiful moment. Right. Well, and it is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. With powerful implications for the rest of her career as well. She admits, I think it's in a conversation with Henry, that she just wants to be an actress. Like she has always just wanted to act like this is this. and, And she did what she had to do to figure out how to do that. But she's sensing in this moment, I think, a change. And that to be honest to both that that dream to act and this new reality that she, in fact, does mind. Thank you. Um, that that there's a new path that needs to be made after for for yes for this play yes for this director and in this space but also for her ongoing career that she has to find a way to make those two uh, meet if if she's going to be able to synthesize something in herself and and live live out that dream of hers. Well, and that that moment you're describing where she says, I am going to be an actor, gosh darn it. I'm going to make this thing happen is the end of act one. It's just after the I mind moment. In fact, the I mind moment leads into this conversation between Henry and Willetta, which is a, in some ways a funny conversation. I mean, the, the play is prescribed as sort of a comedy drama. So there are these kind of moments of humor. And, and Henry's is descended from Irish folk. And so he has this rousing speech about his ancestors <laughs> and his yeah. father who did vaudeville and she is uh-huh. echoing him she is praising him she is yeah. all along and that leads her into saying how much she wants to be an actress and damn it she's gonna do it the final line of act one yes damn it and why not why in the hell not curtain yeah now it, it's interesting to me that both ends of the acts are in a uh, a space with her and henry both acts end with a kind of speech a uh, 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 with only with Boletta and Henry and they kind of cut off right at the end of the speech. In this case, the I'm going to be an actor speech, which uh, just follows the uh, the history of, of Henry's Irish family and, and vaudeville speech. And then at the end of the play, it's the really incredible, notable uh, recitation of the Psalm 133 with the fake audience applause, which is a sound effect that the stage manager has been triggering all throughout the play, and now they use it as as Willetta, Henry uses it as Willetta gives a recitation of Psalm 133. It's fascinating to me that, that she has mirrored the ends of the acts that way. Yeah, absolutely. And both both of them are kind of steeped in 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 the 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 setting that they're in and the place that they're in, which which is a theater, as I mentioned at, at the top of this, and I think that's part of part of the importance of this play is that it's the the I mean, there's so many pieces of this that are, you know, are are written for a theater audience, right? Like the way a rehearsal works is an important detail of this play. The the action around the audio tape that you're talking about is 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 a I mean, we, we probably, we, we don't have those kind of cassette tape audio tracks anymore that had applause on it, but that would, that would be around stage. And, and so much of the storytelling leverages this high context understanding of a theater and, and how theater works to bring out the complications of this cross-cultural moment um, and to bring out the, the beauty of, of this space that we hold in theater to, to be exposed to this sort of cross-cultural moment. 
Well, and, and of course, the, the climactic confrontation between Willetta and Manners is kind of a uniquely theater confrontation or maybe even just a uniquely art confrontation because what yeah. Willetta has said over and over and now has kind of come to a place where she's going to force the issue. This play is a lie. This play is untrue. The decisions that these characters make aren't echoing of reality. They're just decisions made to make the white characters in the play look good. And even though ultimately the play is supposedly anti-lynching, she has a lovely moment where she's like, but it's it's only an anti-lynching play because he's actually innocent of the crime. Would it be okay right. to lynch him if he were guilty of the crime? Is that what the play is saying? So she's built, uh, had all these confrontations about the content and the writing. And finally, she forces Manners to admit that, yes, the play is a lie. He, he in fact says, so maybe it's a lie but it's one of the finest lies you'll come across for a damn long time. Here's the bitter truth, since you're living off truth. The American public is not ready to see you the way you want to be seen. He goes on to sort of justify that opinion. But that, that right, that that is a confrontation that's sort of about art and the nature of art's relationship with the public. Right. Right. And I think it's it's one that's that, you know, it's it's I mean, certainly at the time it was really prevalent. It continues to be really prevalent and it's and it's tied into this power structure. Right. The or, and, and the broken power structure of people who are making the decisions at the top. This is slowly changing. I think we are seeing some change in this, but it's still a prevalent problem the people who are the decision makers, the people who notably, as Sheldon says at the end of the play, can call the cops for this sort of interaction. Um, are all of one demographic. In this case, they are all white. Um, and so they are the ones who have the power over the situation. So that artistic conversation, though it's like it's incredible to see it all slowly develop and actually come to light in this play, can, is one that so rarely can be had. That type of conversation in this specific uh, cross-cultural space just can't be had, in, especially not in this context. Well, and, and especially not in the way that Manners wants to have it. And this is still a problem today, right? The question of who is the artistic vision behind some of these so-called uh, like racial justice pieces of art or movies or theater. And if it's white people inventing the script from the ground up, right, a, in this play, a white person has written the script within the script. And in fact, when the, the, the actors of color in the play have sort of an argument about, well, should we suggest some changes? They sort of all agree, no, they're, they're white. They're not going to listen to us about suggestions for changes. Of course, when one of the white actors has a suggestion for a change in his right, speech, yeah. they immediately write it down and they're going to go talk to the playwright about it so they highlight that and it, it that still exists today right this this feature of white people having the power and then supposedly creating these stories that are supposed to suggest and the viewpoints of racial justice the viewpoints the voices of people of color but don't actually have the voices of people of color in them at all yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the I mean, certain. I got partway through the play, and I, I was re reading the play. I didn't necessarily hit the first stage directions uh, uh, right right away when I started, and I got like you know fifteen pages in or something, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what year is this?" And I had to like <laughs> <laughs> turn back <laughs> and relook at the date because there was just so much resonance with with current current moments, and and yeah, so so absolutely, I think I think this play's message speaks into our moment we can still be striving for this to be better 
And, and that, of course, is probably one of the reasons why a company like the Roundabout Theater Company is bringing it to Broadway finally after all these years. It is sort of sad that the play is still so stinking relevant after 70 right. years, right? I mean, congratulations to Alice Childers for writing a play that is still has so much to say now, but it is sort of sad that it does. And, it's absolutely, and, yeah. And yeah. I, I hope, I don't know, but Roundabout Theater Company, if you're listening, if you don't have a director of color directing this play's premiere on Broadway, you are really <laughs> missing something. <laughs> I mean, that would be a big mistake. That'd be super ironic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, as especially as that play is coming out, more of you hopefully are going to be reading the play or seeing. Maybe if you go out and see the play in the future at some point and remember us all the way back here in these days, um, and want to continue having the conversation about this play, we'd love to keep talking about the play with you. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at Gmail dot com. You can find us on any of those sites. And if you're looking for someone to talk about the play, whether you've read it, been in it, seen it. We'd love to be having that conversation with you. Definitely we would. If you liked this episode, if you've liked our other episodes, and you want to suggest to your friends, your family, folks that you know from the theater community, whoever you might think like would like this podcast, please, please send them our way. They can find us easily at Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Uh, they can go to Podbean, which is the place that we're technically hosted. However, if you just want an easy way to connect folks with us, just have them like our Facebook page. Every Wednesday, we release a little advertisement about the script that we're talking about the following Monday, so you can read along if you'd like. And then, of course, we just post a link to the new episode every Monday as it's released. All you got to do is click, and it'll pop right up for you to play. So for any of your folks that will have uh, trouble navigating Spotify and Google Play and Apple Podcasts, if you got a Facebook, you can easily listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So hope you'll send them our way. Yes, indeed. So until next week when we are talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast. We'll see you.